All right. Good morning, friends. Whoops, that's a little hot. Sorry, uh, sorry about the no chair situation. You guys going to be okay on the floor? Okay, I'm only going to preach for about two hours and 15 minutes, so shouldn't be a problem. Uh, I'm <laughs> just kidding. There's my son. Okay, we are going to talk a bit about the resurrection, being Easter and everything. We're going to talk about the events of the resurrection and what the resurrection means for us, why this day is important. This is the paramount day on the Christian calendar. Christianity stands or falls on the truth of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead. And if that be true which it is, then that has profound implications for all of our lives. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to be looking at Mark's account. So Mark chapter 16, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, we're going to put it up on the screen for you this morning. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 16. At the beginning of the worship service, we read Matthew's account. We'll get some new details from Mark's account. We're going to read the first seven verses. When I say we, I mean me. It's not both of us reading this time anymore. You follow along. Mark chapter 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out to purchase burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, Just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this glorious account before us. This day when we remember, celebrate, explore, think about, and act upon Christ's resurrection from the dead. Thank you that it's recorded for us in your word, which is truth. And thank you that you're working in our lives. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would cause our lives to be... um, profoundly moved by the truth of you risen from the dead, that those of us that already know you, we would live in consonance with your resurrection. We would live according to the truth that you are the risen king and we have new life in you. And perhaps there's friends here today who are not yet Christians, who have never put their faith in you, Jesus. We ask that today they would know that you love them and you went to the cross and you rose from the dead for them. And they, through putting their faith in you, would receive new life today. Help me now, Lord to communicate in a way that's helpful and faithful. Help us to understand your word. We ask it together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there in the text of Mark, we have some of the historical details about the resurrection from the dead of Christ. But it's important that we ask, 
What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it have to do with me? What are the implications of Christ's resurrection from the dead? Well, we'll start this way. Before Christ was resurrected, Christ must have died, right? That makes sense. So far, so good. Before Christ was resurrected, Christ must have died. And the scriptures tell us that Christ died upon the cross, that Jesus is the son of God. God draped himself in humanity. God come to the world in flesh, looking to save men and women and children. And that Jesus was rejected by his own. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was scourged. And ultimately, he was crucified. He died a violent, horrific death upon the cross. And it was a real death. It wasn't a pseudo death. It wasn't sort of a spiritual death. It was a real death in his physical body on the cross. And on the surface, it probably would have looked to a lot of people as though it were sort of perfunctory, as though it were merely political motivations for Christ's crucifixion. Christ's world was much like our world. There was all sorts of political wrangling and political opinions and cutthroat political moves. And politics played a part in it. But it wasn't the full story. On the surface, it may have looked as though it were a religious dispute. We're familiar with that in our world. Our world is wrought with religious disputes at this moment. At this moment, there are men and women who are suffering because of religious disputes. But there is something much deeper going on than political realities or merely religious agendas. The true backdrop to Christ being crucified was given to us by the words of Christ in John 3.16. Most of you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. You see, it wasn't merely some sort of political push. It wasn't merely religious wrangling. It was God's love. It was because God loves you. It was because God loves us, because God loves the world, that he gave his son. Now, how do we make sense of that? In which way does he give his son? Why did it make sense for his son to die upon the cross? Because of God's love. Well, I've got a little bit of bad news this morning. I know you didn't get up on Easter morning hoping to hear bad news, but I have some for you. The bad news is this. God is a record keeper. Someone say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And he's a good one. Someone say, oh, no. (laughs) And the scriptures are clear that God keeps a record of our sins, my sins, your sins, humanity's sins. And the scripture says that this record is hostile to us. The scriptures call it a debt. A debt owed to God. Why owed to God? Well, all sin is sin against God. All sin is sin against God. God made us. He made you. He made the world. And we are, like it or not, humanity, accountable to God. And so when we rebel against God, it's called sin. When we refuse to follow God, it's called sin then we have a debt payable to God. We have incurred a debt, the scriptures say, because of our sins. Now, the thing about this debt is like some of your current debt, you can't pay it. It's beyond your ability to make payment. You can't outdo by doing good the bad that you've done before God. That's not the way that it works. 
There's a debt that you could not possibly deal with, an immovable weight, a heavy burden of guilt upon us. And sin has broken our relationship with God because God is holy and he's righteous. Sin is rebellion and when we're rebelling, we're in broken relationship with him. And so good because God loves us. He wanted to restore us to relationship. In order for us to be restored to relationship, that debt that we incurred had to be paid some way. God's a righteous judge. It had to be dealt with. He's not your grandpa. He's not going to sweep it under the rugs. He's not your second grade teacher. He's not going to let it slide and say, oh boys, he's a righteous judge. Had to be answered for. So God gave his son to pay the debt for us. It wasn't political. It wasn't religious. It was love. Look what the prophet Isaiah said about it. 700 years before Christ came and died upon the cross. Speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Speaking of humanity. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced, speaking of the nails of the cross, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed his death upon the cross for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is good news. This is good news that Jesus was a substitute for us. That Jesus, because he was a righteous son of God, no sin of his own, the holy, innocent one, died in our place to pay the price for our sins because the scriptures say that the wages of sin, what is earned through sin is death. Death is the result of sin. Jesus died in our place that we might have forgiveness, a substitutionary death. This happened, his death upon the cross. But his resurrection is what gives it meaning. Look, for example, at Romans 4.25. Christ was delivered up because of our transgression, speaking of the cross, and raised because, or for, it's translated, for our justification. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and he was raised that we might be made right with God. That's the idea of justification, in right standing before God. Remember, if you're familiar with the gospel, some of Christ's last words from the cross, some of his last words were, it is finished. It can be translated paid in full. Remember the record I talked about? The certificate of debt that we incur before God? Jesus, when he died upon the cross, said, paid in full. Now, if Christ had remained forever in the grave, then those words would have meant nothing. But he didn't. Christ was risen on the third day. And what the resurrection of Christ is, is the Father's acceptance of the payment of love. It's the acceptance of Christ's full payment for all of my sins, all of your sins upon the cross. 
When he was resurrected from the dead by the power of God, it was the stamp that said, yes, accepted, paid in full. Christ, the substitution for us, making us right with God through the forgiveness of sins. So the resurrection is the approval from the Father of Christ's work upon the cross. Secondly, the resurrection is proof positive of Jesus's identity. Look at this passage from also Romans. Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. This is important because a lot of people throughout history have claimed a lot of things. A lot of people have made great claims. But nobody else has ever in the history of the world offered to pay your debt through their own death, predicted then their own resurrection, and pulled it off. Who else did that? Name them. Come on. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody has ever done that but Jesus Christ. So when he rose from the dead, it was proof positive that he's the only son of God, the only savior of the world. In fact, Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. This is profound. Jesus claimed absolute exclusivity as the way to heaven, the way to eternal life, forgiveness of sins. That's absurd, it would seem. Jesus' time was much like our time. There were competing religious ideas. It was a culture of plurality. There were competing truth claims. There were all sorts of different ideologies. And it was audacious then, as it is now, for someone to say, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. Flying in the face of, well, you know, relativism. What's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. What's true for me may not be true for you. You know, we've all got our own truth. Poppycock, Jesus said. I don't think I've ever used that word from the pulpit. He said, I am the way, the only way to heaven, and I am the only truth, absolute exclusivity, and I am the life. There's not eternal life in anyone else. Now, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we could dismiss that statement and that claim of exclusivity. But since Christ rose from the dead, we need to deal with it and we can rejoice in it. Then it's truly true that we have a savior and that Christ is that savior. And so therefore, because of his resurrection from the dead, Christ's words beyond anyone else in history have validity. Beyond anyone else in history. All sorts of great religious claims, but Christ's words have validity beyond anyone else. That's evident from his resurrection from the dead. And so therefore, here's a logical conclusion. Christ rose from the dead and his words have validity beyond anyone else and they're true. No one else has pulled off and predicted and pulled off their own death and resurrection. Then all of Jesus's words ought to be listened to and obeyed. That makes sense. He rose from the dead. His words carry more weight than anyone else's. All that he said ought to be listened to and obeyed. But if we know ourselves, if we look at each other, if we read scriptures, we see that we often 
Don't give careful attention to God's word. And that was a little bit the situation that Easter morning as the women were coming to the grave. Again, Jesus had told them that he would die on the cross and three days later be risen from the dead. But they did not come that morning, that morning excuse me, expecting Jesus to be alive. Look again at the Mark text. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Listen to me. These women fully expected Jesus to be dead. Why else would they go out and buy the spices? What was the purpose of the spices? From the spices, they would make this sort of anointing oil that they would put on the grave wrappings. People were wrapped in cloth when they were laid in a grave at that time. In the grave wrappings, they would wrap it on there in order to combat the smell of decaying flesh. Jesus died a real death. He'd been dead for three days. By now, there was an odor. And the women fully expected Jesus to be dead. That's why they took the spices. They hadn't grasped the implications of what Jesus had said. He was dead as far as they knew. And, and they sensed that, well, this, he wasn't a normal guy. In some way, we ought to honor him. That's why they're, they're taking the anointing spices. In some way, he ought to be honored. And, and in some way, he ought to be thought of, but they didn't really expect him to be alive. And this is kind of the way that many of us live today. You know, we're happy to honor Jesus. We'll show up at church or we'll do a few things or we'll pay some lip service. But I don't know if we, we now, we, me too, me including this, I don't know if we often enough live as though Jesus were really alive. Because if he's really alive, let me speak to the Christians, then we really have new life. The power of sin has really been broken in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're not slaves to the devil. We're not slaves to the pain of this life. We're not victims of death. Death has been overwhelmed by the life of Jesus Christ. And so we can really live with hope. Hope. I know there's a lot of pain in this room. I look out over this room. I know many of you. I know there's many of us who have lost loved ones this year. But if Jesus is truly risen from the dead, then death doesn't have the final word. Christ is risen. He's the Lord over death and life. And he promises us a resurrected life. We can have true hope. We can have peace. The world is a rough place. Pastor Sean prayed for it this morning. Times are tough right now. It will not always be this way. Jesus rose from the dead and he's coming again to right every wrong, to judge evil, wicked, evil and wickedness. There's coming a day when he will undo everything that has gone wrong so we can have peace even in the most difficult of times because Christ is risen, ruling and reigning, coming again. And we can have joy for this risen king is ours and we are his. We belong to him. And if he's risen, He really is our Lord, so we can obey. If Jesus is risen, he's the Lord. And so Christians, we ought to obey him. Let's be honest. We can grow a bit in obedience. You look at these women, you're saying, Jesus said to you he'd be risen from the dead. Why are you coming looking for a dead body? 
Well, couldn't we look at each other and say, Jesus said to you thus and so, why are you fooling around with the things of death? Church, our church, we could stand a little growth and holiness and obedience, myself included. Jesus is Lord. Let me speak to the not yet Christians for a moment. Jesus rose from the dead. That means that you really have a savior. You really have someone who is extending to you forgiveness. You really can have the burden of guilt and shame and brokenness and rebellion removed from your life. What else will you do with that weight? If Jesus is in the grave, you can ignore him. But if he's alive, you've got to deal with him. If Jesus is in the grave, I must tell you, you have no hope to remove the weight and the burden of your own sin. If Jesus is risen, we truly have a savior. Along those lines, look what happened next in the text, verses three and four. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. So this is a glorious thing. They're, they're on their way there. And this I've been to with my family, my son Isaiah, he's been there with us. There was, we've been to the empty tomb in Jerusalem where Jesus was laid. And the entrance is about yay big from the top of the stage here. So even me being 6'6", six, six, I could just stoop a little and go inside. So a stone that was rolled in front of that to seal it was a big stone. Would have weighed about two tons, two and a half tons. And these little women said, who's going to remove the stone for us? Who will remove that barrier, that weight that we might lay eyes on Jesus? You see what I'm getting at with that? They needed, and they got that day, a power greater than themselves to remove the barrier. They could not have done it in and of themselves. God did it by miraculous means. We need and we have today available to us a greater power who can remove the barrier between us and God, Jesus Christ, the righteous who died for us and rose from the dead and lives today. He is the one who has removed the barrier of sin because our sins separate us from God. Look what Isaiah said again, 700 years before. Your iniquities, sins, have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. And as I said before, God is a meticulous record keeper. The weight is too much for us to bear. An immovable sort of burden of our own guilt before God. Remember now, I have a little more bad news on Easter morning. God doesn't grade on a curve. We wish he would, because we can always find someone who's worse than us, can't we? You don't have to look very far. It's fun. It's easy. You don't have to look far at all. But there's always someone who's doing better than us. But God doesn't grade on a curve. God has a set standard. His own righteousness. His own holiness. That's the set standard. So the best among us has a debt of sin before God. We all have incurred that debt and the debt is big and immovable. But God himself, because of his love, has removed the barrier through Jesus Christ. 
The stone has been rolled away once and for all. We truly have a savior. Look what happened on the cross, Colossians 2. It says, you were dead because of your sins. That's a spiritual condition of someone before they're forgiven of their sins through faith in Jesus Christ because we're dead to God, so to speak, relationally. You were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Look what he did. He canceled the record of charges. Remember that certificate of debt I was talking about? He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. It was nailed to the cross. That is why Christ said, as he gave up his spirit upon the cross, it is finished, paid in full because my debt was there, your debt was there, our debt was there, paid in full. The barrier between us and God has been removed. We can have, through Jesus, forgiveness, access to God, and a relationship with God as we were created for. And that is good news. And you must know, however you're hearing this today, and I'm almost finished, you must know, whatever tone you see coming from me or however you've heard it before, whatever your bad experience has been with the church or Christians, and we've all had many. My worst experiences have been with Christians. We've all had many. You must know, you must hear this, that the only reason Christ died on the cross for you is because you are loved by God. He didn't have to do it. He wasn't obligated to do it. Nobody twisted his arm. It wasn't politics. It wasn't religious wrangling. It was the love of God for you. For you. For God so loved you. I know what you're thinking. You think what I often think. Wow, it's just... Does he know how unlovable I am? Does he know how bad I've been and how bad I am? I want you to look how the vignette that we read ends. The angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they had laid his body. Now watch this. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Now, why is that profound? Listen, an angel is a messenger of God. God wanted to communicate this invitation to the disciples to meet him in Galilee, but especially for Peter. The angel said, go tell the disciples, make sure you tell Peter. Why is that important? Because three short days before... Peter had denied Christ three times. He had made great claims of allegiance. On the eve of the cross, Peter had said to Jesus, listen, Jesus, these other guys, they're probably going to bail out on you. But I, I'll never leave you. Jesus, I'm willing to go to prison and to death for you. Sorry, you're in the splash zone. (laughs) (laughs) she looks terrified (laughs) totally germ free (laughs) Ah. Peter was like a lot of us 
Peter had wonderful intentions, made great claims, fully wanted to be allegiant to Christ. But you know what? When it mattered most, he bailed. He denied Christ three times that night. And the last time he denied Christ, he said something to the effect of, uh, it says in the text that he cursed and he swore that he didn't know Jesus. doesn't mean he used foul language. It means he called down a curse upon himself. It means he said something to the effect of, may God kill me and damn me if I'm lying, I don't know Jesus. And you know what? If it were any other God, he would have let him have it. Okay, Peter, by your words, damn you. But our God is a God of second chances. And the first thing he communicates after the resurrection is make sure Peter knows he's still invited. Make sure Peter knows he's still invited. We're just like Peter. Isaiah said it 700 years before. All of us, Isaiah said it. All of us like sheep have strayed away. It's not just Peter. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's past to follow our own. Yet, and what a wonderful yet, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Friends, you are invited. You might be a Christian and you've had all the best intentions. And you look forward to great moments of obeying Jesus and having allegiance and doing the right thing. And you did just the opposite. When we're faithless, God is still faithful. You are invited. You may think, I, I've never known Jesus and I've, I've always lived a life of rebellion and sin. This invitation is for you. This resurrection day is for you. What this angel had to communicate is for you. Make sure she knows she's still invited. Make sure he knows he's still invited. Because God loves you. And what is he inviting you into? He's inviting you into new life. New life. Through the forgiveness of sins. Where sin is no longer our master. Where we no longer suffer under the penalty of sin. New life where we don't have to fear judgment for Christ was judged in our place. And anything that God had on us, he nailed to the cross with Christ. It's forgiven. It's moved as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest sea. We now have right standing with God. Invited into new life where we're made new creations, the Bible says, where we can have the hope of living in a different way. We don't have to be trapped in the same patterns in the same hurts, in the same brokenness. Jesus is the one who makes all things new. And today you're invited into newness. And he's in the process of making all things new. And one day he will ultimately make all things new. And you're invited into that. Invited into new life that outlasts death. Death doesn't have the final word. In light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would say, death, where is your sting? The sting has been removed. Through forgiveness, we can have eternal life. Jesus Christ said to someone who was mourning the death of their brother, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will never die. 
but will always live even if they die. Physical death, we still have eternal life. New life in Jesus Christ. So let me finish by speaking to the Christians and then the non-Christians. Christians, Easter means you are loved, you are forgiven, you are cherished by God, you are a new creation. Live that way. Live that way. Wake up knowing that you are the beloved of God. His thoughts toward you outnumber all the sea, all the sand, excuse me, on all the seashores in the whole world. You are loved by God. You are forgiven. Tomorrow you're going to sin again. You're forgiven. You've got great intentions and great hopes. There will be some victories. There will be some transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will grow in likeness to Christ, but there will be great failures. You are forgiven. But don't give in to it. You are new. Christ died to break the power of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We can live in a new way and have new life. We can live victoriously in Jesus Christ. Easter means for the church, let's live the resurrected life. And I'll finish by speaking to the non-Christians. I'll say the same thing. You are loved. You are wanted. You're invited. But you're a sinner. And the way to the guilt of your sin, like mine, is immovable by you. You need a savior. Jesus is the savior. Nobody else. There's no Easter for anybody else. Only Jesus. He has paid the price for your sins. He's risen from the dead and he invites you into a relationship, new life, forgiveness, eternity, hope, healing. You can make that decision today. All you need to do is believe in your heart, believe, truly believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved, the scriptures say. Right now, where you are, later on, at lunch, whenever, you can truly believe on Jesus Christ, what he did for you upon the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and say to him, in essence, Jesus, I realize I am a sinner in need of a savior. You are the only savior. Save me. I'm yours. Save me. Forgive me. I give you my life. He'll forgive you. He'll flood your heart with grace and mercy. You'll be brought into the relationship for which you're created and have been longing and missing all these times. A relationship with God who loves you. And that's a good thing. Can I get an amen? Amen. Christ is risen. You're invited into the resurrected life. Thanks be to God.